This is Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, heard now in 100 countries. On this episode of Transit Unplugged In Depth, I travel to Las Vegas, Nevada, where I meet with MJ Maynard, the CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada, the RTC. I spoke with her in front of a live audience and asked her about what's happening in their transit agency. Afterwards, I was able to interview Francis Julian and David Swallow, deputy CEOs of the agency, and Antoinette Braddock. Between all of them, we discussed how they're spending their $300 million of federal COVID relief funds. Some of that is going to improving the headways on their fixed route service and a brand new RTC on-demand microtransit pilot, as well as what's happening with their fixed route services and COVID recovery, their tri-transit program, their, their game day express to the new NFL team there, how they're handling a driver shortage, their new GoMed pilot with autonomous vehicles, so many other things. It's an amazing chalk-packed half hour for you here today on Transit Unplugged. And this time, though what happened in Vegas won't stay in Vegas, because not only are we bringing it to you on this podcast, but we're also making this our first episode of Transit Unplugged TV. Not only will it include expanded parts of these interviews, but all kinds of behind the scenes footage you won't see anywhere else on this brand new extension of our Transit Unplugged podcast for our fifth season. Enjoy this interview, sit back, relax, and listen to how transit is done in Las Vegas. Hi, I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on our very first episode of Transit Unplugged TV. And it's exciting to be with my good friend, MJ Maynard, who is CEO of the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada, RTC, right here in Vegas, baby. <laughs> Thanks for having us in. Thanks, Paul. It's, just so you know, it's been sunny for the last 300 days until today. Uh, it's raining. Paul, did you bring that with you? I brought the rain. I didn't okay. rain dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. We needed it. So, and gl- like, real glad to, glad to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. And the reason I wanted to come here, MJ, is because of, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, uh, and um, public transportation is, has... Um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic has shown its true colors, mm-hmm. that we are really what's helped these cities, all of our cities across the world, keep their economies going. Mm-hmm. And you've done that here in Vegas. I mean, it is a tourist town, but it's also a business town and a business convention town and all that stuff. And you've been able to keep it going um, it's just amazingly. So I think now the people in Washington have figured out Public transit is not just a local responsibility anymore, it's a national priority. And that's why they've pumped some money into the economy for public transit to keep us going, even when our fare revenues were down. So uh, before we get going too much, though, uh, tell me a little bit about your transit system and about yourself, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, we'll start with, uh, so I am, uh, I've been in Las Vegas since 1980. Um, I think when people ask, you know, how did you get into transportation? Uh, I think some of my peers did it maybe in a traditional way. I've heard that sometimes they start as a driver, uh, a bus bus driver in college. Uh, for me, though, that I think if you if you'd asked me 16 years ago would I be working in transportation, I would have said absolutely not. I'm all about hotel gaming. So I spent my career in hospitality before I, I came to the RTC. As a matter of fact, I started my first job was as a dishwasher uh, at the age of 15 and a half in Seattle, Washington. Um, I uh, came from a family where we could not afford uh, a car, generally speaking, so I grew up taking public transit, and who would know that years later um, I would start working in an industry that I relied on and depended upon when I was a a young person. Uh, But just a chance um, encounter, it was a conversation with Jacob Snow, who was the uh, GM of the RTC at the time. I think sometimes opportunity presents itself. 
Uh, it's timing, it's luck, and it's willing to take a risk. And so he convinced me to leave hotel gaming. I'd been working uh, as a vice president at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And I thought at the time, that's what I'm good at. I'm hotel gaming, hospitality, but business skills are very transferable. And I had a chance uh, to leave an industry that I love, loved, that's past tense, uh, to join uh, the RTC and really love, love, love what we do. Uh, the fact that we get to serve our community, uh, I, I have a real empathy for the folks that have no other option uh, to, to move about the community and to do those things, right? We connect people to people, people to places, people to opportunities. And so our role in, in our community uh, means a lot, particularly because I can relate uh, from all those years ago. Uh, so enjoy my job. I started assistant general manager and, um, and was appointed CEO right before the pandemic started. And it was humbling. <laughs> To, to be a CEO with, we're working from home. I was CEO with my yoga pants on and my slippers. So, um, but it, it's, uh, I'll tell you the, the, the best part about it is to work with this, this group. I have, I, I know everyone says they have the best team, but I do. <laughs> they are the best. So, uh, so we are, we, we, uh, we are the transit agency, but I, I think you're aware, Paul, that we wear a lot of hats here at the RTC. Uh, we are the public transit provider. We are also the metropolitan planning organization. In that role, we are the roadway funding and planning agency. Uh, we are responsible to oversee the transportation planning process for all of Southern Nevada. We are the traffic manager for the region, and we also uh, operate the bike share uh, system in downtown Las Vegas. So a lot of hats. But to answer your question specifically, public transit, we are, people are surprised in Las Vegas. We are the 12th busiest bus system, according to the NTD National Transit Database as of 2019. Uh, we have uh, 40 routes. We have over, between paratransit and transit, over 800 buses. We are bus mode only. Um, according to the 2019 NTD, we're also the most efficient bus system in the U.S. I'm glad you mentioned that. We have the, uh, the lowest subsidy. I think it's $1.74 as, $1 as of 2019, and the, the lowest operating cost per passenger of $2.74 uh, per passenger. And our fare box ratio used to be a lot higher pre-pandemic, but I think right now we, we're uh, number two in fare, our fare box recovery. It's uh, almost 37%. Uh, and we move a lot of people. Uh, 65 million boardings or, or passengers uh, took per fixed route pre-pandemic. Even during the pandemic, we moved 50, 56 million customers. And what um, you are exactly right. What did we learn from the pandemic? Uh, that we keep the economy going, right? And we, uh, we move a lot of essential workers. In Las Vegas, hospitality is our economic engine. And so we, as a resort town, we have three distinct shifts. So our system operates 24-7. Uh, we are as busy sometime on the graveyard shift as we are during the day. Our weekend service and transit is just as busy, if not busier, uh, than the weekday service. So we're very different than uh, our peers, cities. Uh, we don't have that typical white-collar commuter right. that goes to work in the morning, we take them into the city, and then in the afternoon or early evening, we take them back home. Uh, we have a sort of a bell curve kind of service. and uh, So we are busy. Um, move a lot in a fixed route paratransit. We provide senior services and, and uh, service for our veterans. That's great. And you have America's first autonomous vehicles. We actually, we were part of it. It was definitely, yes. it was, we, we played a role in that, but the uh, city of Las Vegas, Keolis, uh, and um, AAA, that was a, it was a definitely collaborative effort. Yep. But you came here to I see got it. to be here, yeah, part of it. Did. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was. And we, and, and we are still, in, uh, still working in the autonomous vehicle space. We received a build grant 
a couple of years ago. And so we are going to be introducing a autonomous vehicle shuttle that runs from downtown Las Vegas at our Bonneville Transit Center. It's our busiest hub. Uh, through the city of Las Vegas into their medical district. And um, you'll talk to the team later, but we're kind of knee deep in that. This year we're still working on, we'll actually be working on uh, procuring the vehicles okay. and getting the testing done. So we were talking about how Washington now has stepped up to the plate and they helped you all, a lot of cities in, in America, make up for that lost revenue when riderships went down due to government mandated shutdowns, um, even though you kept your ridership pretty high here. Tell us about all the, those three levels of fund, the CARE Act and the CRISA Act, the ARP Act, and how, what, what are you doing with those monies? That's a big reason why I wanted to come here, because you are doing some amazing things with that money. Well, first and foremost, um, the money was, you know, Christmas in, I don't know, March, April. It, it was, it was, I think every transit agency, the pandemic, there's such an impact financially. But for the RTC, pre-pandemic, we were already facing a fiscal deficit in our transit fund. And so if not for the CARES Act, the $303 million we received between CARES, CRISA, and ARPA, uh, and I know only transit people understand what we're saying, yeah. <laughs> right, those, those acronyms, uh, but it was those three tranches of, of stimulus funding actually uh, delayed what will ha what will happen in the future. We 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 are not only did we not have to cut transit service, we uh, we took the we certainly listened to the directives behind that stimulus funding and wanted to make sure that we brought back employees that had been unemployed or laid off due to the pandemic. Uh, we. Uh, implemented a very large service change this past August. Uh, we are almost back to pre-pandemic levels, but we were able for the first time to introduce transit in areas of the valley that have never had transit. And Las Vegas has been one of the fastest growing cities annually for a number of years now. And so we knew that we had gaps in our service, so we were able to do that. Uh, we were able to um, not only add new routes and add frequency, but we introduced a microtransit pilot, it's still in pilot form, in an area of Las Vegas that has never had transit. Uh, so this service change will impact, there will be 185,000 uh, new riders, so folks that have never had access, 20% uh, live at or below the poverty line, uh, 13,000 seniors will now have service, uh, 12,000 folks with disabilities will now have service, and this is about uh, employment, right? So folks that have never had access to work in those areas that have been transit deserts, there's that, that opportunity. So we're really excited about uh, what's happening with the stimulus funds. Phenomenal. Expanding service. Expanding, expanding service yeah. really again to, um, to a, a, one of the fastest growing cities where we have not been able to, to keep up with uh, the growth. And so right. this has been uh, a great opportunity. It's, it's about equity, right? It's about ensuring that everybody has the, the accessibility to, to jobs or to healthcare, school, et cetera. And how are you reaching out to try to get people back on the bus, so to speak? Do you have programs in place you're trying to do outreach. We have an amazing, amazing marketing team. Uh, we, we, I think first and foremost during the pandemic, it was ensuring that we communicated with them on a on a very recurring basis, right? To, to let them know what we were doing to ensure that they that their health and safety were our top priority. Uh, we we did that by we've had Wi-Fi in our buses since 2016, so we're able to almost communicate in real time to our customers. We will survey them uh, when they log on. We'll ask them a few questions. Uh, so that's helped. Uh, we actually did that during the pandemic to ensure that if we were cutting service, we wanted to know, are you an essential worker? Where do you work and what do you do? And what route do you depend on? So that if we had to make service cuts, we, we were able to keep those, uh, those routes, uh, for the most part, stable. But um, this, aside from social media and um, having boots on the ground, we'll actually go out and serve our customers and talk to them. Uh, 
it was uh, an opportunity here that for employers, they were having a very difficult time getting employees um, back to work. Right. And so the team came up with a program called TriTransit. Uh, we're working currently with 90, employ 90 employers uh, that uh, we're offering two, two seven day, uh, 14 days worth of, of free transit. Uh, usually when you get a job, it takes about two weeks before you get your first pay paycheck, right? right? So two weeks to get these folks there. Uh, to date, we've distributed about 30,000 passes. And this has been uh, an opportunity for employees, that, new employees or, or employees that are returning to work that maybe have never used transit. Uh, so it's, um, that's been a way we've been able to communicate. We're here, uh, we're available, and we're ready to serve. And on the microtransit, you mentioned you're doing that with the new money, too. Tell us about that. So microtransit, you know, I think that in our industry, we've talked about microtransit in some form. Uh, I think some agencies started to implement microtransit as early as four years ago, five years ago. And there was a conversation in our industry that microtransit, does it really work? What, do you, what is it trying to solve for? I mean, you're, you're going to pay more per passenger in microtransit than you will on your traditional fixed route. And so we, we decided that we were going to, Love all, serve all. And what I mean by that is we were going to take microtransit in this area of the valley that had never had transit. And instead of implementing their traditional fixed route line with the corresponding three-quarter of a mile boundary paratransit service, we decided why not, uh, why not use one bus, uh, same-day on-demand service, and uh, instead of separating the disabled community in the small bus and fixed route riders on our 40-foot or 60-foot bus, uh, there is a lot of commonality in terms of who needs to go and and how they want to travel. And so uh, on the paratransit, I think, again, what we say if you're a paratransit customer, uh, there are folks that uh, cognitively are, 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 are fine, right? Maybe they're visually impaired or uh, they're, they're going to dialysis or they're getting short-term cancer treatment. Those, those folks, um, they're... They're now riding. We're merging those, our, some of our paratransit customers with our fixed route customers and students all in the same vehicle. Uh, that we're covering 31 square miles. And, you know, when you do a pilot, I think the first thing you have to consider is what are you, what are you trying to solve for? And for us, it was we wanted to improve the customer experience and we wanted to stretch that tax dollar, right, the, the public subsidy. And so in, to date, we anticipate the pilot will cost about $2 million. And that sounds like it's a lot of money, and it is, especially if you talk to our chief financial officer. However, if we had used traditional fixed route and paratransit, we'd be spending about $4.5 million. So we're able to reach a geographically a, a wider coverage area, and then we're able to, again, merge uh, people that are going the same place. We actually pick them up at their homes. And if you're fixed route, we'll take you to a, a virtual bus stop or a traditional bus stop to connect to public transit. If you're paratransit, we'll pick you up at your home and take you to where you need to go. If you're a student, we're going to pick you up and make sure you get to school. But it's, uh, it's working well, and we uh, look forward to uh, sharing the results of this pilot uh, with our peers probably about a year from now. That's great. Now, you've got a, a brand-new football stadium and a brand, uh, with, with a team, the Raiders, that came out. They're one of my new favorite teams. Uh, and you're doing transportation for them as well, right? We are. Uh, <clears throat> we are. So it is... You know, think of uh, any other sports town. You might have a stadium that's in the, the hinterlands or yes. you have a, a stadium that's maybe in the downtown area, but it's surrounded by, you know, light rail and, and heavy rail and, and bus. And here in Las Vegas, uh, you know, we have the Strip, which is uh, already congested, right? 150,000, I think, hotel rooms just along the, the Las Vegas corridor. 
And uh, the Golden Knights, we love our Golden Knights. They came to town. They built the T-Mobile Arena just for this team. And that's right on Las Vegas Boulevard. And then the Las Vegas Raiders are now here at Allegiant Stadium. That's just a stone's throw from Las Vegas Boulevard. So you can imagine uh, in our role as public transit provider and traffic manager for the, for the region, we are heavily involved in, in, uh, on game day. And so we, uh, we work closely with both sports teams, and we ask them, where do your ticket holders live? We use that data uh, to lay it out on our geographic map to understand what's the best place to congregate those riders and pick them up, leave your car at home, get on a bus, and, and, and take uh, the service into, uh, into the resort corridor. So it's been a challenge uh, because on, a, on a, any given Sunday here in Las Vegas, we're very busy. We're, we're already, it's one of our busier days in terms of just servicing our public. And now we couple that with the Raiders and the Golden Knights. And when the, the Raiders go into overtime, like they did last weekend, double overtime as a matter of fact, as that game was ending, the Golden Knights game was starting. So the, the egress of uh, uh, Legion Stadium made it, it made it a little dicey. <laughs> Behind the scenes, there was a lot of panic uh, for the customers. They loved it. But it's, it's working out really well. And as you look into the future, what do you see coming for RTC? So this, this year is going to be busy. We have a, a bus rapid transit project that uh, has been in, the play, in, it's been in the works for quite a while. We're in this next coming year, uh, design and engineering will still continue. Uh, our GoMed pilot, our autonomous vehicle pilot, will be procuring the vehicles for that. Uh, we are anxiously awaiting, like every transit agency, what's going to come out of Washington with the infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better bill uh, to understand how we're able to utilize those funds and bring as much federal dollars back to our state. Uh, as the Metropolitan Planning Organization, we are really excited about uh, uh, working with VIA and implementing a, a study on how microtransit could potentially uh, assist folks that live in pers persistent poverty, um, food deserts. So that's a plan that we're going to undertake this year. And then we are, um, I think you've seen our mobility training center. We have a facility where we train our paratransit customers um, and also train our paratransit customers to ride fixed route, our visually impaired community to ride fixed route. We received a grant. We have a mobile lab that we're going to implement in uh, this coming year that will take all of our mobility trainers and our resources out into the community to help folks learn how to ride uh, fixed route or uh, to become certified for paratransit. So we're really excited about that. Well, I wish you the very best as you continue to unleash upon this community the best that mobility has to offer. Thanks, Thanks well, MJ. Thanks for coming. All right, I'm with Francis Julian, Deputy CEO here at Las Vegas's RTC, outside of your administrative headquarters. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Paul. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Yeah, I remember the last time we were together, you and I were riding the autonomous vehicle in, uh, down near Fremont Street. Yes, in the heart of downtown. Yep, that was amazing. So what are you, what's your responsibilities here as Deputy CEO? So I'm, over, I'm overlooking uh, transit, paratransit, maintenance, the facilities, uh, HR for the, uh, for the agency. Uh, so quite, quite busy, but I've got an amazing team. That's great. So one of the big things that obviously most transit systems have just come through and are still involved in is this recovery from COVID. How did you all handle that? Uh, it, it, like everywhere else, it was uh, really hard. But first of all, during COVID and during uh, before getting all the federal aid, uh, we had to rethink our, our transit system. We, uh, we were lacking funds and we took this out as an opportunity to rationalize uh, our transit system. We did a lot of surveys with the community to make sure that we weren't impacting the ones that needed the most. 
So we had actually proceeded to major transit cut. And when the federal stimulus came, uh, came in, that was an opportunity to actually, as MJ mentioned earlier, to expand our transit system to the same level as it was before, but with a much broader scope. Uh, so uh, once again, it, COVID was really, really a bad year like for everybody else, but for us, it actually allowed us to resize and rethink uh, the way we were providing uh, service in the Valley. That's wonderful. Yeah. Whenever you have these kind of inflection points as, as leaders, we want to take that opportunity to evaluate, like Simon Sinek says, what's the why, right? What are we doing here? And then report, repurpose kind of what you're doing to make sure you're meeting those needs? Yeah, ex exactly. You couldn't uh, say, it, <laughs> say it better. Uh, but obviously uh, not without challenge. Uh, as you and I talked before, uh, right now nation nationwide there's a driver shortage. Uh, we really appreciate the drivers. We're actually, each time we go uh, publicly, we're, we're telling them how great of a job and we're asking for the patient, the, the public to be patient with, uh, with bus drivers. It's not easy, but uh, we, we had this summer, we, we had a dip for the first time. We actually had open runs uh, in our system. Uh, our contractors always did a great job of providing full service. Uh, but working with our contractors, we came up with a lot of incentives, a lot of new ways of providing service. And as of this week, I'm knocking on wood, but right now our service is, uh, is almost back to normal. Paratransit is still struggling a bit, but we're probably a, a month from, um, from, from being back to normal. Yeah, a lot of transit systems reported that they were having real difficulty. So a lot of folks left the service during COVID, routes were cut, et cetera. Getting people to come back to work or hiring new drivers, especially CDL drivers, uh, is difficult. Have you done anything special or unique that you'd like to share? So, well, first of all, we didn't cut any. For us, we actually cut some of our position at the, uh, the RTC during the pandemic. It was imperative. We knew that we would come out of the pandemic. It was our messaging with our contractor was imperative that we did not want any driver uh, being cut. So we or actually, layoffs. or layoffs. So yeah. we actually, for social distancing, we were adding buses. Uh, so we were grouping buses to, together just to make sure that we kept the number of drivers. Obviously our contractors saw an exodus uh, this summer as new jobs and new opportunities came up. Uh, but together working with them, we did a great job uh, with our government affairs team and our marketing team uh, to, to really market and push the uh, the recruitment efforts. That's good. And you work a lot with contractors here. You're one of the cities in America like Denver who's outsourced even their fixed route work. Does that work well for you? It, it definitely uh, definitely does. Uh, we right now have two contractors, Killis and MV, and I mean it's it's they're they're doing a tremendous job. Uh, they have worldwide expertise in the case of Killis and nationwide expertise from MV. So. We're always picking their brain on the best practices. And we, as you know, we always want to be at the cutting edge. Very good. Thank you, Francis. Great to be with my good buddy David Swallow here in sunny Las Vegas, where it's always fun. And we are outside your headquarters here for the RTC, the Regional Transportation Commission of Southern Nevada. David, as deputy CEO, you've got a lot on your plate. Well, certainly have a handful of teams that do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. First is our Metropolitan Planning Organization, uh, responsible for all the transportation planning in Southern Nevada. We have our Streets and Highways team that's responsible for administering all, our, all the funds we receive from gas tax, sales tax that go to fund our roadway projects. So all that construction downtown in Vegas, that's you? You know, <laughs> thankfully we partner with the, the local jurisdiction, City Las Vegas, the county, City of Henderson, North Las Vegas. All the, the region works together on this, uh, but the RTC is definitely part of that. Uh, the other teams that we have are Information Technology Group, 
really helping bring technology and innovation here to Southern Nevada. Uh, we have our capital project development team that is responsible for really building, all, we act as the developer for the RTC, building all our transit facilities, new bus rapid transit lines, things like that. And then we have our region's traffic management center that our team operates. Um, and then I should also mention, we operate the public bike share system in downtown Las Vegas. So number of different modes, number of different responsibilities. I love the, uh, the multi, um disciplinary facility you've got there where you've got 911 and you've got you all. Not a lot of cities have that. Tell us a little bit about that. You and I visited the last time I was here and you showed me around. I was very impressed with that. Yeah, well, thanks. It's our, our region's traffic management center. The RTC in partnership with the state of Nevada is co-located in the same place where we have Nevada Highway Patrol, Department of Public Safety, the Freeway Service Patrol, and then uh, what we call our FAST team, our Freeway and Arterial System of Transportation, which is really our traffic management team, all in the same place. So literally in the same room as incidents are coming in, our traffic management team is to coordinate directly with 911 dispatchers. We pull it up on the cameras in front of everybody. We see what's going on. We get the information out to the troopers being able to respond to it as quickly as possible. That's amazing. So many cities, I think, could learn from this. Um, so what are some of the other cool things you're working on right now? I know you've got a bunch of uh, really kind of forward-leaning projects. Well, following on with the, the traffic management, one of the things that we piloted is an adaptive signal control technology on one of our busiest corridors in the valley, Eastern Avenue. There we had 14 different intersections that we, we put this new technology on. What the adaptive system does is enables us to look at, at the traffic in real time, and thankfully we're relying on computer algorithms and, and artificial intelligence to, to process it so quickly to then respond to that those conditions in real time and change the traffic signal timing to not only improve the performance of the intersections by themselves, but in coordination with, with one another. And it's really useful when we have special events or if we have major construction. It's kind of the norm here, right? Yeah. yeah. One of the neat things about that, it not only, uh, we did a four month pilot and we saw uh, an average of 25% reduction in travel time for motorists. Not only that, a 5% improvement for our bus system operating on Eastern Avenue. And as we look at that, we also saw a reduction in crashes and together, we have to we have to say, you know, this, this is a, a really good tool. And so we're looking at other corridors, specifically the resort corridor, yeah. famous Las Vegas Strip. Man, that's huge, those results you've got there. Anything else? Well, we have our, uh, what we call our GOMED project. This is one where we're taking the, you know, we had an autonomous vehicle deployment that was done thanks to a partnership between the city of Las Vegas, uh, Keolis and AAA. Did a one-year pilot operating an autonomous shuttle in downtown Las yeah. Vegas. You were the first in America. Well, and, and we learned a lot from it. Uh, you know, one of those things where you start it and, and you're testing in a live environment and the, you know, we see a, a, a crash happen within, you know, just about an hour where a truck backed into it. Uh, thankfully, not, not, not a big deal, very uh, minor uh, damage, but it was one of those things where you go, okay, how could we address this going forward? And so after a year of learning from that, we built upon that experience and applied and, and received a build grant to uh, carry the project forward. And with that, we're going to deploy a few autonomous shuttles running between our busiest transit hub in downtown Las Vegas over to the Las Vegas Medical District, where we have a number of hospitals, doctors' offices, as well as uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas's medical school. And so we'll have that direct linkage between our main transit hub and the, the care that a number of our customers need. That's awesome. Thanks, David. Antoinette Braddock, you have a big responsibility here at RTC in Vegas, and that is you're launching a new program, a pilot program. Tell us about that. 
Sure. So it launched. It is our RTC, Right on Demand, uh, which is a universal uh, program. Um, some people call it microtransit, but at the RTC, we call it universal because it's a thank yeah. you. It's an opportunity for us to engage both our paratransit and our transit riders um, for an on-demand service. Uh, this is a service that we recently launched with the um, broader expansion of our transit services. And uh, specifically, it is in a section of our valley. We call it a uh, transit desert in the desert, yes, right? Yeah. So um, it's uh, historically been an underserved uh, transit uh, section of our valley. And so we have now launched this service. So, awesome. Tell us how it works. Yeah, absolutely. So it is a um, on-demand service where both our paratransit and our transit customers can um, either at, uh, you know, the the, the, their palm, right? Smartphone app. Smartphone app. Yep. Um, through uh, some really smart technology, they can uh, schedule, uh, cancel, track their rides. Um, we also offer folks that don't have the ability to use a, a smartphone or may, maybe not uh, can't afford a smartphone to call into our reservation and dispatch uh, center, where they can also book their rides. So, it's really on demand. They push their phone. It's not like traditional paratransit where you got to wait 24 hours or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's great about it. So um, we the response time is usually a little shorter then, but we guarantee up to 30 minutes. Um, so folks can book within 30 minutes of the time that they want to be picked up. They can also book um, in advance if they you know if they want that guarantee, which we know our, cus our paratransit customers like to have. But again, it's getting them um, you know engaged and learning about that on-demand experience with they, which they've not historically had um, and then for our paratransit customers it allows them to travel within our broader paratransit service area and for our fixed route uh, customers it allows them to go with um, into different uh, virtual stops within the microtransit zone or it allows them connect to bus stops so that they can go out into the the broader uh, transit service area. okay so like the traditional what they call the first mile last mile solution essentially yes, yes. yeah that's excellent. Well, good luck with that pilot. Let us know how it goes. Thank you. We'd love to. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth. Special thanks to MJ Maynard, Francis Julian, David Swallow, and Antoinette Braddock, and everyone at RTC for hosting Paul and a really great session on all the innovations and work they're doing to make transit equitable and accessible for everyone. If you have a comment, question, feedback, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.